0: Well, welcome again this morning to Resurrection Church and to this second day of Advent. They're not in here right now, but I'd particularly like to thank our Children's Bell Choir. They'll be playing for us again later in the service, I believe, during communion. I'd like to say thank you in advance to our greening team. That's not a landscaping crew. The greening team is actually going to be part of the greening of the church or the hanging of the greens. Two phrases for the same thing, which we do on the second Sunday of Advent each year. It's after the service, we'll be decorating the different areas of the church in preparation for the coming of Christ on Christmas Eve, uh, the birth of Christ. And so if you would like to stay after, you are the greening team. If you're able to stay after, uh, we've already recruited a number of people, and if you haven't been recruited, you are still welcome to stay. We'll have a pizza lunch as soon as all the greening is done. It's a a fun occasion and a time of uh, decoration and preparation. Well, one of our Lovejoy family traditions this time each year is to get in our car and to go drive through different neighborhoods, including your neighborhoods. We drove through some of your neighborhoods by some of your houses. And what we like to do is we like to kind of scope out the different Christmas decorations and ooh, I like that one and ooh, I like that one and oh, what's a creative thing they did with their yard or their lights. As we drove through different neighborhoods and Cypress Lakes and up here at Braxton Road area and Celebration area, uh, we saw scenes of the Nativity, we saw scenes of the Grinch, we saw scenes of Frosty the Snowman, we saw Santa and the sleigh and the reindeer pulling the sleigh, we saw amazing Christmas tree lights kind of on a pole decorating with lights running up and down strands and other such decorations. As we drove through these neighborhoods, an unusual question came to my mind. The unusual question was this. All these decorations are in celebration of the first coming of Christ, the birth of Christ. The question is, I wonder what, if we have yards and houses after the second coming of Christ, I wonder how we will decorate our yards for the sec- to celebrate the second coming of Christ. I wonder what that'll look like. Nobody's decorating for that now because it hasn't happened yet. We're celebrating something that's happened almost 2,000 years ago. I wonder if we will have uh, inflatables of Jesus on a white horse with a sword coming out of his mouth, as the book of Revelation describes. I wonder if some people will grow images of the tree of life in their front yard with fruit that you can come and take off of the tree of life and the leaves for the healing of the nations, as Revelation also describes. I wonder if people will pay international choirs to sing in their front yard, representing every tribe, tongue, and nation, proclaiming the glory of God, as, again, the book of Revelation describes at the second coming of Christ. We got so into this topic as a family that one night, this past week over dinner, I asked our kids if they could describe the difference between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. We don't talk that much about Jesus' second coming, so I wanted to see if they could identify any of the differences between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. And believe it or not, the list actually got quite extensive. We made a list, or I made a mental list. I thanked them in advance for helping me prepare for my sermon. But uh, the list included this. His first coming, he was a humble baby. His second coming, he is a glorious king. There was nothing that glorious about his first coming other than the choir of angels. and They were gone quickly, and then they tried to kill him after that. King Herod. His first coming happened in the past. His second coming will happen in the future. We're talking about a past event versus a future event. In many ways, his first coming is known. We know about the manger. We know about Bethlehem. We know about the shepherds, the angels, the wise men. In many ways, his second coming is unknown. We don't even know when it's going to happen, Jesus says. You just don't know. You just know to be ready. You know it's going to happen. You know a little bit of what's going to happen when it happens. But compared to the first coming, there's just lots and lots of unknowns. His first coming, in many ways, was a beginning. He says, I am the Alpha, the first letter of the uh, Greek alphabet. His second coming will be an end. He also says, I am the Omega, the last letter of the Greek alphabet. His first coming, Jesus says, was a coming of mercy. This is John chapter 3. Don't think that I came to bring judgment on the world. I came to bring mercy. His second coming will be a coming of judgment. First coming was a coming of mercy. His second coming will be a coming of judgment. Didn't happen at the first coming. They hoped it would. They expected it to. The Jews wanted it to, but Jesus refused to make the first coming a coming of judgment. He says, I've come to call sinners. I've come to save the prostitutes and the tax collectors and everybody who wants to repent of their sins and come to me. Come on in. This is a coming of mercy the banquet table is available to anybody who wants it. That was not a coming of judgment. So you could see if we lived in a culture that just decorated its yards for the first coming and just like to focus on the first coming, you can see, can't you, how you would start to get a pretty lopsided view of Jesus. He's just humble, he's just past, he's just known. He's just a beginning. He's not going to finish anything. He's just mercy. There's no judgment here. You could see how that would start to give you a pretty lopsided view of Jesus if we just focused on the first coming. And so this season of Advent, we're focusing intentionally on purpose, particularly on the second coming of Christ. Advent's about both, but I'm saying we kind of need to lean this way a little bit because we're so good at focusing on the first one. We oftentimes, except for this time of year, and even rarely at this time of year, focus on the second coming, and specifically we'll be looking at 2 Peter chapter 3, if you have your Bible and you'd like to follow along. Peter is going to tell us this morning three things about the return of Christ and final judgment. He's going to describe the reality of Christ's return and final judgment. He's going to describe the purpose of Christ's return and final judgment. And then he's going to describe the hope of Christ's return and final judgment. So let's begin by listening to Peter describe the reality of Christ's return and final judgment. I'm going to begin a couple of verses earlier in verse 3. Peter says, Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires. They will say, Where is the promise of His coming? This is in the, I think, the mid-60s AD. So only 30 years later, they're already saying, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Nothing's happening. For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. Let there be light. And that means of these... And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. This is the time of Noah. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Now Peter here is describing people who are uh, opposed to the work of Christ. They're opposed to... Uh, the work of the, the gospel ministry of the church, and they're particularly objecting to one thing. They're scoffing at the gospel. They're scoffing at Christ and say, where is it? <laughs> where is it? He, said, he said he was going to come back. Where is it? They're scoffing, and they're denying the second coming of Christ. Where is he? Nothing has changed. And then Paul, uh, Peter includes this little detail. He says... Uh, uh, Scoffing following their own sinful desires. He's not coming back, you all. Do whatever you want. There's no final judgment. Just, everything's just going to keep going. There's no end game here. Just keep doing what you want. That was the scoffing. And the scoffing, it was not just intellectual scoffing. It was also behavioral scoffing. I, don't, I not only just don't believe it, I don't care about it, and it doesn't impact my behavior in any such way. In fact, I'm going to do the opposite of what he says, because it's not true or real anyway. It's a joke. It's a fairy tale. And so today, we have a similar thing that they had over uh, however many years that was ago, almost 2,000 years ago. Today, we also face the challenge of scoffing, do we not? You all don't believe in fire and brimstone, do you? That silly stuff, fire and brimstone, that old-fashioned, that's just trying to scare people. You all don't really believe in that, do you? You don't believe in fat, chubby little angels playing their harps on clouds? you? You Christians believe in fat, chubby little angels playing their harps on clouds? That is an artistic rendition, by the way. That's not in the Bible, so I don't even necessarily believe it. But if you believe anything about angels or six-winged creatures or, you know, Book of Revelation stuff, you've got to be crazy, you Christians that believe fairy tales. As we heard last week, you all, you all are so heavenly-minded, you're of no earthly good. You just want to sit around and talk about heaven and hell all day. Don't don't do anything for anybody around you. You don't really care about the earth you live in. After all, isn't it true that God is love? And a God of love would never have judgment. He would never talk about hell. I can't believe you Christians would describe a God of love in the way that you're the problem. You're talking about God in a mean way and it hurts my feelings. So it's not true. Scoff, scoff. Scoff. Same thing that Peter faced. Scoff, scoff, scoff. Therefore, punchline, do whatever you want. Right? We end up at the same place that they ended up. We just have different scoffing. Do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. God's love. He's going to forgive you and He doesn't care about your behavior. So, in a situation like this, we need to do what Peter did, which is to go back to the words of Jesus and His Apostles. I'm going to read a little bit of what Jesus said about final judgment and the end of all things, the return of Christ and final judgment. Jesus, one of his most popular self-referential titles, one of the ways he describes himself, he uses a phrase from the book of Daniel, the Old Testament prophet Daniel, to describe the coming of the Son of Man, a glorious figure, which Jesus says, that's me, basically. He is the Son of Man. Here's Matthew chapter 13. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. There's going to be a mixture, and eventually there will be a separation, He says. And the Son of Man will throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. That phrase, weeping and gnashing of teeth, is one of Jesus' favorite phrases to describe hell. He uses it six times in the Gospel of Matthew in particular. Remember that phrase, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is describing a reality there. Here he is in the Gospel of Mark. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where there describing a place now where there worm this is people who have a worm kind of in them on uh, on top of them crawling on them where their worm does not die a key phrase from the old testament isaiah 66 their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched for everyone will be salted with fire another description in hell the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched Jesus' descriptive words, quoting Isaiah 66. And then here he is one last time in Luke 12, verse 49 says, I came to cast fire on the earth. Probably where Peter got this idea of the earth being consumed with fire. I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I wish it were already kindled. So he's talking about a future event that is not yet. However, verse 50, I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Fire is coming, but first I have a baptism to go through. The baptism he's referring there to specifically is his own crucifixion. And so we can't just listen to the scoffers and ignore the words of Jesus. Jesus uh, clearly and repeatedly talks about a reality that People scoffed at in, Jesus, in Peter's time and people scoff at today. Peter goes on in these verses to say the coming of Christ and final judgment will be like the time of Noah where everybody was happy, nothing's, nothing's, everything's continuing, nothing's going to change. Yeah, Noah's building a crazy man ark, but who cares? He's been doing that for a long time, nothing's happened. And then Peter says in the same way, Christ will return with fire instead of with water so there will be a purification and a judgment but not with water instead with fire what are we to make of these things cs lewis i believe in its his book mere christianity one of his books he describes daily life he describes the process of daily life each decision we make he says